Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Susanna was an incredibly busy mom. Do you know any busy moms? Yeah. Well, Susanna managed a bustling household. She raised, thank you, and homeschooled all 10 of her kids. Um, She trained them both in classical education as well as biblical. She trained the boys as well as the girls. It may have been the early 1700s, but she fully embraced her calling as a mom, as a God-ordained mission to the world, and she flourished in that call. But Susanna was no stranger to trauma and loss. Uh, She actually gave birth to 19 kids, but almost half of them died during infancy, including one baby that was smothered by the nurse just a few hours after it was born. Ugh. That's a lot of sorrow to endure. But she was also no stranger to difficulty because as much as her husband Samuel obviously liked making the babies, he didn't seem to enjoy much else. He was a bit of a dud as a dad. Actually, he was a bit of a dud all around. He was a pastor. But he was so hated by his congregation for his academic dryness and his political divisiveness that parishioners tried to burn their house down twice. (laughs) And what's more, he made uh, foolish financial decisions which landed him in debtor's prison for months at a time, leaving Susanna to fend for the family alone. Uh, The little parish they had uh, came with a small garden area, which was for their provision, but uh, Pastor Sam didn't want to get his precious hands dirty, and so he wasn't much interested in tending to it. So Susanna had to do that as well, because I'm sure she had a lot of time in her hands. All the while, Samuel blew what little money they had trying to produce a a long treatise on the sufferings of Job. (laughs) While his own wife experienced the sufferings he inflicted, that's what he was doing. The irony could not be thicker. But somehow, Susanna persevered. She flourished, actually. She tended to the farm. She led a growing Bible study in her own home that blew up got up to about 200 people that would flock to her house on Sunday afternoons because apparently the preaching that morning wasn't that great. And um, most significantly, she raised these 10 kids to know God, to know his word, and two of them grew up to change world history. Of course, I'm talking about Susanna Wesley. You might have heard her name. Her son, John Wesley, became one of the greatest preachers of all time, affecting literally millions of people's lives, leading a whole new movement the Holy Spirit was birthing and has influenced, well, everyone, all of us. Uh, his, uh, her other son, Charles, became one of the greatest songwriters the church has ever known. Uh, we still sing his songs today, some of them at least. Hark the herald angels sing. Yeah. Uh, well, I used to resang one of his. Uh, Christ the Lord is risen too. Yeah, written by him. Well, with all this difficulty, all this trauma, all these kids, how in the world did Susanna do it? When you read her story, you think, this woman 
was superhuman. Obviously a genius, amazingly gifted, strong, focused, and she seemed to flourish in a situation that would have crushed the lot of us. Amen? Huh. And I will not deny that Susanna was obviously an extraordinary woman, but Susanna also had some secret sauce. Because you know what Susanna did? Do you know what's true about her? In the midst of a very full family life, Susanna maintained a daily practice which sustained her inner life. A daily habit of withdrawing from her kids and all the crazy and spent exclusive time with the Lord and in his word. Susanna would take, I kid you not, two hours a day. She would schedule this in and she would not miss it so that she could listen to Jesus, she could pray, she could study the word of God and she could intercede for her kids, her husband, her church, uh, her friends. Now, how in the world did she do that with 10 kids? and a demanding household with chores and homeschooling and all the things that went into running a household in 1712. I'm sure there was the hauling water then. You know, could she just sort of go for long walks, you know, in the woods and head out to a coffee shop with a girlfriend or, uh, you know, squirrel away with a good book where no one could find her? No, she couldn't. What she did, though, was very intriguing. She would sit down with her Bible in her favorite chair right there in the room. And then they wore these long aprons over top of the dress in, in, in the early 1700s, apparently. Oh, yeah, no, none of you were alive then either. And, and what she would do is she would pull the apron part up over her head, creating like a little tent. And she would sit under the apron with her Bible and pray. And when she was under the apron, Susanna would fellowship with God for about two hours a day, and her many kids learned not to disturb her. They learned that this was mom's uh, sacred time with God, learned that when mom was sitting over there under her apron, she was not to be bothered unless something drastic, like somebody setting the house on fire again or something, you know, then they could warn her. But other than that, they left her alone. And Susanna's flourishing as a mom in the midst of a crazy, overwhelming household with constant demands, with very little help from hubby, was not a coincidence. Her ability to sustain her mission of motherhood, her deep knowledge of the scriptures, her giftedness at teaching it, not only to her kids, but to the larger community, her understanding of the ways of God and her own situation, even her own personal strength in overcoming the difficulties or healing from trauma and loss, all of that is connected to this daily getaway that she had with God. Even if it just looked like a really stressed mom sitting over there in the corner hiding under an apron. She's inspiring. And today as we continue our master class in Luke, we're going to see how Susanna modeled in her life a pattern that she learned from her master. Because Jesus also regularly got away from the busyness of his crazy life to be with his father too. And that's how he, like Susanna, was sustained in his mission to the world. And this is super relevant for us. I think one of the greatest challenges that we face as followers of Jesus is holding tightly to two related truths. Who we are in Christ, our identity, and what he's called us to do, our mission. They're related, of course. Our identity 
and our mission. And we need to somehow maintain a crisp clarity on those truths in order to flourish as Jesus followers in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And if we don't maintain clarity, if we aren't constantly vigilant about it, we get fuzzy. And I don't know about you, but I get fuzzy quick. Like by the end of the day, fuzzy. Certainly by the end of the week. If I don't somehow come back to the truth of who I am in Christ and what he has called me to do. Our attentions are tugged every which way, every single day. Are you with me? We had a lot of distractions. We wrestle with pressures from work, our concerns about relationships, uh, our commitments that we've made to serve in a variety of ways, and just our daily chores. Some of us have aging parents that are demanding more time and attention. Some of us have some super challenging kids. Okay, don't, don't raise your hands right now. Some of us do have under-functioning spouses. Some of us don't have a spouse at all. And then there's just a million other things that it takes to keep life going. And on top of that, we've got these pocket screens that ding and buzz to get our attention. Have you noticed this? Or, even if they don't ding and buzz, there's some sort of beckoning call check me. You haven't checked me for a while. Check me. You need a dopamine hit. See if there's something going on on Facebook or Instagram or whatever else it is. And so our distracted minds are constantly being lured away. And then you can add to this whatever particular situation you find yourself in. And I know some of you find yourself in some pretty pressured situations. Do you see the challenge for us? For all of us. How are we to keep our identity in Christ and our mission from the Father clearly in focus with all these things constantly tugging at our attention and at our minds? We need some way of keeping what's true in focus, of coming back to who we are, and Jesus gives us that. And like good apprentices, we need to learn from the Master the life rhythms he himself followed. That's what Susanna did. And we can implement his rhythms into our lives so that we can keep these truths sharp. Now, few of us face, honestly, the kind of life that Susanna faced. I I don't think we do. And yet we face a lot of our own personal challenges, overwhelming situations, things that seem like they're going to crush us. And Jesus faced enormous challenges and demands too. We know this. And he sustained his identity and his mission through a very deliberate rhythm of ministry to others where he would go out and then where he would come back to solitude with God and in and in out. And as followers of Jesus, apprentices of the master, that's the rhythm that we need to mimic so that we continue to be sustained as loved kids on God's mission. So let's take a look. Just a couple verses today, three verses. Luke chapter 4. Verses 4 to 42, 42 to 44. So getting toward the end of Luke chapter 4. Remember what's been happening last week? Peter Hambry led us through what was kind of the first uh, moments that Luke narrated of, of Jesus' public ministry. And, and it's instant that Jesus is now in high demand. Unlike the folks in his hometown of Nazareth who tried to lynch him for what he was saying about himself, the people in Capernaum, they're thrilled with Jesus. 
they want Jesus more and more and they just want to get close to him and they want to listen to what he's saying. They want to get more healing. They're just so excited. People are being released from demonic oppression. People are being, uh, you know, healed from their sicknesses. And within days, moments even, hours, it's like a nonstop healing shop with a line down the block, right? Everywhere Jesus went. And what's happening here in Luke chapter 4 is really what characterizes much of Jesus' ministry going forward. Incredibly high demands, relentlessly needy people, and very little personal space. Moms, does that sound like your life? (laughs) Well, sunset didn't slow anything down. In fact, it amped it up because if you're reading the story, you realize that all this does take place on Sabbath day and the Jewish Sabbath ends at sunset. So people sort of felt, okay, Sabbath is over. Let's haul our sick people up to see Jesus. And so sun, sun is set and people are lining up. Luke 40, we, we looked at this last week, but um, let's read it. Um, Luke 4:40. at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Uh, moreover, uh, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. This trend continues. Wherever Jesus goes, people come in droves. Wherever, wherever Jesus goes, people come in droves. And why wouldn't they? He's bringing them freedom. He's bringing them life. He's bringing them healing. He's bringing them forgiveness and love and truth. And as he had said in Capernaum, and the people didn't like, God's dream for humanity is being fulfilled in him. And his healing and his teaching is a demonstration of God's intent. That Jesus is the living embodiment of God's plan for us and for the world. But we also know that no one, not even Jesus, can sustain that kind of pace without crashing. So how does Jesus do it? Well, the clues are sprinkled all through the Gospels. And here in Luke's Gospel, you can find them too. And it's really important that we pick up on those clues when we see them. Even if they're sparse, even if they're just here and there. Pick up on them because we begin to see a pattern in the life of Jesus that helps us establish the same life-giving pattern in our own lives. Under the same pressures or different pressures that we have. So with all these demands... Jesus is serving people and healing people late into the evening. And then we pick up the next verse, verse 42, we read, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Now, Jesus in the middle of all this busyness. He's up late the night before. I don't know how much sleep he got. He gets up early on Sunday morning. And he intentionally removes himself from everyone else. He sneaks out of the house. I don't know how quiet he had to be. But he snuck out alone so he could be alone with his father. And I know, I actually know many moms and dads who do just that to try to get some peace and quiet. Anyone? Kids are still sleeping. And I know some of them get up terribly early. But, you know, you try to get up before the kids, right? So that you can have some time alone. Well, the solitary place here in verse 442, it's actually a deliberate throwback to the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness back at the start of chapter 4. In fact, the phrase solitary place, it's the same Greek word that was used to translate into wilderness. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, that word wilderness is the same as solitary place. It's the Greek word eremos. And eremos, just as a side note, it's... He, Ramos is the name of the latest blend that Jacob has roasted up at Roe. So, you know, it's kind of like, Ramos, you know, grab that cup of tea and head off with Jesus or something. So it's, anyway, a little side note. Ramos, 
desert place, wilderness, solitary place. It's the same word. And it's used all over the place. And we see a pattern emerging that Jesus returns. He spent these 40 days communing with the Father, doing battle with Satan. He, he, he spends these, there in the Aramos, the solitary place, and he returns there again and again and again, even as he ministers to more and more people under increasingly heavy demands. He's always getting away somehow into this solitary place. It's very succinct here in verse 42. We're not told explicitly that Jesus prayed. We're not, we're not told that he spent time with his father or anything. We're just told he got alone, went out to a solitary place. But when you remember his wilderness experience and how formative that was, and it's just a few verses behind, and then you read forward in the story and you see this pattern emerging again and again, you see that this is all woven together. It's all part of this rhythm of in and out, in and out, engage, withdraw. Uh, For example, if you just go to the next chapter, verse uh, 16 of chapter 5, we find that as the good news is spreading everywhere and crowds are chasing him down, quote, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And guess what that phrase, lonely places, is in Greek? It's the same word, aremos. Now, in the following chapter, chapter 6, verse 12, in this case, Jesus doesn't hit the desert. Instead, he goes up high. We read that Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So, okay, so now it's a different location. It's not the, the same word. It's, it's oros instead of aremos. It's, it's a different location, but the practice is the same. In the midst of all the demands, get away. Somehow. Get away as though your life depends on it because, as it turns out, It does. In a very real way. It matters that we remember who we are and who God has called us to be. And there are so many things that will crush that, take that away, make you fuzzy, make you confused, make you not even think about anything at all. And as a result, you're going to be living your harried life forgetting who you are and who God has called you to be in the life situation that he has placed you. And so we get away as Jesus got away, as though our life depends on it. And Jesus practiced this life-sustaining rhythm. He'd be out among the people, and then he'd be hiding in the bush. That pattern is crystal clear. And so we see this, and as apprentices of Jesus, we have to think, what's going on here? What is this? Because we're not just paying attention to what Jesus says. We're also paying attention to what Jesus does and how he lives. And we can at least look at this and ask the question, why does Jesus do this? And do I need to do this too? Well, let's look at how it helped him. Let's go on. Early in the morning, Jesus goes out to the solitary place, try to get some some quiet, uh, maybe reflect on the night before and all that is happening, look to the day ahead to share conversation with his father, to feel his father's delight, to meditate on his father's word, to remember his mission, all of this, to simply be. But inevitably, people come looking for him like they always did. It happens again and again through the Gospels. It's like people wake up and go, where's Jesus? You haven't seen him? Let's go find him. They arrange a search party, and they go out looking for him, and they find him often out in the desert places. So the second half of verse 42, let's pick it up. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Judea is a geographical area, not just one town. So he's spreading out. 
What's going on here? It's very interesting to me. These people are enamored with Jesus. They're amazed at his teaching. They're thrilled with his healings. They're stunned by his authority. And their response is, they want more of Jesus. They want to keep him. They want him to stay. It's like, yes, Jesus, finally, more of you. A dream come true. We want to hear more and receive more from you. It's kind of like the perfect audience, right? The perfect crowd. Finally, he's arrived. I mean, the last people tried to kill him, and they knew him. I think this is really important to note. Because unlike the hometown crowd of Nazareth who did try to kill him, these people are liking Jesus. So much they want to keep him, not kill him. And yet, very important to note this, the effect on the mission would have been the same. Kill him or keep him. It would have prevented him. Distracted him from his calling. They would have used Jesus for their personal ends. They would have limited his mission. If he had listened to them instead of his father, it would have led ultimately to the abandonment of his calling and confusion of his identity. This is important to note. But Jesus isn't gullible. He's not taken with that. He's not too impressed with his own press. He knows what he's about. He knows who he is. He's firm in his identity and he's clear in his mission. And as good as this Capernaum crowd had been, he knows he's got to keep moving on because his father has explicitly sent him, he said, to spread this good news of the kingdom wide. Other towns, other synagogues, other people rippling out from there. And this is part of how Luke structures his story. It's rippling, that, 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 that uh, drive, the, the, the mission from the Father to go and spread it wide. In Luke, it's, it's wide among the people of Israel. But then in Luke's second volume in Acts, it's going to be wide from Israel to the world, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a movement there. But here, Jesus says, this is the mission the Father has given me, and I'm going for it. Well, how did he know that? How did he not get distracted by all the success Because he regularly returned to the deserted places and spent time with his father. He regularly would pull up and remember, this is who I am, father. This is who you've called me to be. And he would hear the father speak to him and he'd speak back in return. He'd hear the father's affirmation again and again, like we already heard at his baptism. He would be reminded again of who he was and what he was called to do because he was tuned first and foremost to his father's voice. And because of that, he was able to resist the allure of the fans, the fame, the crowd. He didn't let these crowds, be it the ones who loved him or the ones who hated him, deter him from who he was and what the Father had called him to do. And that regular time away was how he maintained that. And so the implication for us is quite simple, and yet, oh, let's be honest, really difficult. Nothing in this message is difficult to understand, right? I know, some of you already saying, I know, a couple of you already said, Didn't Tom already preach this message a few months ago? Right? You can be honest. Because I kind of did. Not quite the same, but you know, you've heard it before. Yeah, I heard this. I know, I know. But yet we all struggle with it, and I do too. We, We struggle with this, how do I implement this into my life? And I know maybe I belabored it a bit, but I think it's so important because if we are distracted... 
If we let the pressures of our life and the demands of ministry and the, and the things that are going on in our families and all of the, all the things that are going on technologically, all the things that are happening culturally, all the things that are pressuring us from here and there, if we let that, those voices, determine who we are or distract us from our true identity, we're hooped. Hooped. Lost. Toast. Whatever metaphor you can come up with. We're in trouble. If we let the voices of either those that love us and want to keep us, those that hate us and want to kill us, we let either of those voices determine our identity, we're in trouble. If we let any of those voices try to tell us how we should live the mission of the Father in the world, we won't be able to do it. And so we've got to somehow look at the life of Jesus and say, as a follower of Jesus, I need to have this rhythm in my life of engaging in the ministry that God has called me to, whether it is the ministry of motherhood or being a dad or ministry at work or ministry in your neighborhood, ministry in the context of this church, taking care of kids, teaching, offering hospitality, reaching out to a neighbor, whatever, praying, interceding for people whatever ministry God has called you into, all the things that God has called us to do and be as his people, if we aren't crystal clear on who we are and who the Father is, other voices will dictate to us who we are and what we are to do. And if we listen to other voices tell us who we are and what we're to do, it will lead to the abandonment of the mission. It will not lead us to the truth of who we are. And so I guess I'm very simply saying we got to figure this out. We gotta, and now some of you are really good at it already. And I know that. Guess what? We need to learn from you. Others of us are really struggling with it. Because it feels like our lives are impossible. It feels like we don't have any time. And then, and then, and then the, the preacher tells a story about a woman who spent two hours a day. How, how, how debilitating is that? <laughs> oh, man. We need help. We need to say, okay, Lord Jesus... I can see this rhythm in your life. I want to figure out how in my situation, in my vocation as a dad or a mom or, or a friend or a neighbor, in, in, my, in my particular place, I want, to, I want to have a regular time where I hear you speak to me about who I am and what you want me to do. That needs to be somewhere in our lives. And if we start there, and just say, Lord Jesus, help me learn your rhythms, your life rhythms. Help me follow you. I want to apprentice with you, Jesus. You'll find that there are other brothers and sisters around who want to do the same. You'll find that down through history, we have many brothers and sisters who offer us great help, great guidance. Men and women of faith, fathers and mothers of faith, and reading some of their stories, and even like Susanna and others, learning from them and realizing like, oh, they may have been in a vastly different situation than me, and yet I saw how they, in the midst of that situation, were able to maintain a focus, were able to connect with God, were able to, and not because they didn't have busy lives, able to somehow withdraw to hear the voice of the Father speaking love and truth over them. So we need to do it. So how are we going to do it? I don't know what that is for you. But I know that your life in Christ, your flourishing in your ministry, depends upon your ability, not in your own strength, but your ability by the Holy Spirit to somehow carve out space and time to hear and receive truth 
from God through his word. It just depends on that. And so my encouragement to you is to, to, to maybe spend some time this week, is particularly for those of us who maybe haven't got a solid routine, haven't figured this out. I encourage you to, to, to go over this uh, story even and say, and just be honest, say, Lord Jesus, um, I, I want to do this. I want to implement some kind of rhythm. We're going to start small. We're we'll start with five minutes. I'm going to set a timer on my, my, my watch or my, my, my phone. You can do that, you know. It's okay. And I'm going to carve out some time just to, just to remember in prayer who I am and talk to the Father and read some scripture. And, and I'm just going to work with in small, instilling a small habit in my life that can grow. And that's how true change can happen. Small, consistent steps lead to great growth. Don't bite off more you can chew. Start small and grow it. But not grow it alone. To be able to invite a friend, a spiritual friend, a spouse, uh, someone that you've been connecting with, invite them into that. Ask them how they're figuring it out. How are you doing it? Say, I'd like, to, I'd like to be able to grow more in my personal relationship with God. I'd like to understand more of who I am and his word. My life is frantic and stressed and I feel like I'm constantly, you know, freaking out. How can I do that? And ask them to pray with you on that, to help you with that. I do want to give you one suggestion, though. For those of you for whom this will be relevant, you will understand what I mean. You got to do something about that. You do. And as much of a fan as I am of the Uversion app, and I'm a fan, you may not want to read your Bible on your phone for the obvious reason that then you're on a screen. You know, though some of you just need to be reminded, these hard copies still exist. You can read one of them. Now, I admit, I'm, I'm hunting for one with bigger print. They also exist, apparently. But you've got to do something. And, and, and getting rid of that thing for a bit is going to really, really help you. Uh, I'm speaking to some particular among us. Uh, you know who you are where uh, that's actually a big problem. Not just in, uh, in, in crowding out uh, time with God, but it's, 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 it's become a, a real dominant distraction in your mind and life. And um, I know that this is true. And so it's something that you need to work with. Others of you are laughing right now, thinking, are you kidding? I, I hate the cell phone. Pride is bad. Don't do that. Pray, pray for your brothers and sisters who are addicted to the screen. But I encourage you to strategize together. Our lives depend on this. The mission of God depends on this. We want to follow Jesus' example. And the incredible difference that will make in your life and in your family's life, there is no telling what will happen if we are able to nurture more closely who we are in Christ and what God has called us to do. The way that will change your perspective and engagement in the ministry that you're in, whether it is, because today's Mother's Day, I'm emphasizing it, whether it is the ministry of motherhood, whether it's the ministry of being a dad, whatever ministry God has called you into, and there are multiple, you will flourish more in that ministry the more connected you are to your identity, Christ, and what he has called you to do. And establishing this rhythm is critical to that. The difference that will make in people's lives. They will be loved more. Do you realize that? Because when we are firm in our identity in the Father, when we're firm in that, 
And when we're not yanked and pulled by, the, by the, the, the desires of those around us, we're actually able to love people truly, not because we need them to love us back or we need them to say certain things that make me feel better because my identity, I'm going to the Father to be reminded of who I am. I'm receiving truth and affirmation by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, through his word. And so the more I'm nurtured in that, the less I'm going to be yanked and pulled by people who hate me or love me. And I'm able to love them more truly as a result. There's a real connection there, friends. Just as true, the more we get clarity on how God has called us to live in the ministry we've been called into, the less we'll be distracted by the various things that come at us all the time, wanting us to do this, wanting us to do that, wanting us to go here. We'll have a much greater clarity on what we say no to with no guilt. Imagine that. I can't quite imagine what it's like to say no with no guilt, but no, I'm not doing that because this is the mission God has called me into. And yes, I'm doing this because this is the mission God has called. We get more clarity, and as a result, we're able to minister in the context God has called us into with more power, with more clarity, when we're centered in Christ and clear on who he's called us to be. But more than that, and I say this as I close, more than that, this rhythm is a reminder to us of something super important. All that we are doing, all the ministry God has called you into, all the demands and things that you need to do to keep little ones alive and other people happening and all the things that at the end of the day, you are not called by the Father to be a human doing. You're called to be a human being. And the Father wants to actually commune with you through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Our triune God longs for moments when you just pull away from the crazy and sit down and say, let's chat. The Father loves that. And so at the end of all that we're looking at, to be reminded that those moments that we steal away with God are not part of the drudgery or the duty or the obligation or, oh, I forgot to read my Bible today. It's not like that. It's the Father saying, I just want to spend some time with you. I want to hear how you're doing. I want to share my love with you. I want to remind you of what's true when you get distracted because I love you and I want to be with you. And the Father longs to be in that kind of regular communion with us. Why? Because he created us for communion with himself. You and I were created to be in communion with the God who made us. And yes, we're on a mission. And yes, we've been all the while the Father never wants us to forget that you are loved and you are his. And he loves to be with you to remind you of just that. So remember that as you seek to implement this rhythm more deep. Let me close with a prayer. Are you finished? Do we have time? Yeah, sure we do. Cupcakes are coming, but we can sing one more. I want to close with a prayer uh, by Susanna. Susanna Wesley prayer. A prayer that she prayed that I think um, represents some of what we're praying about and thinking about, but also um, expresses her heart as a woman who regularly stole away, even if it was just under the apron, to be with her Lord. And so this is her prayer. Help me, Lord, to remember that religion is not to be confined to the church or closet, nor exercised only in prayer and meditation, but that everywhere I am in your presence. 
So may my every word and action have moral content. May all the happenings of my life prove useful and beneficial to me. May all things instruct me and afford me an opportunity of exercising some virtue and daily learning and growing toward your likeness. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.